is an open communion, but we will give opportunity, as the scripture says, we examine ourselves. Because the Bible does exhort us to not take of the cup and the, to take of the bread unworthily. And we just want to encourage you to make sure you're searching your heart and mind. Amen? Amen. Listen, we're going to, as we go into the word today, we're going to read two or three quick passages of scripture. I say that very respectfully because they are the familiar. So a couple of the passages are very familiar to the storyline today for just a moment. But I'm going to be honest. I don't have a very uniquely chosen message about what is typically associated with Christmas. I'm not going to be looking at any type of um, familiar, you know, instrument such as a Christmas tree or a mistletoe or a holly plant or any of that thing that we have done in the past. I'm not going to preach to you today about the pros or the cons of the celebration of Christmas. I'm not, staking, I'm not going to allude to anything politically you know, today in the sense of whether the world wants us to say holiday now instead of Christmas, but we don't pay attention to them. We say Christmas because that's what it is to us. So we're not going, but I'm not going there today. And really, I'm just in one vein today, and that is we're going to focus on and hopefully somehow connect it uniquely together, hopefully, but it's really about the blood of Jesus just to be honest. Even though you say, well, Pastor, that's at the end of his life, and Christmas is the celebration of the birth of his life, but he was born with a purpose. And we'll be talking more about that here in a few short minutes. So to honor the reading of Scripture, we're going to ask you to stand, first of all. We're going to post the first original Scripture text, if we can, today here out of Luke 1. It's a familiar passage of Scripture to us. Here, and this is the angel who has appeared to Mary, this young girl dwelling in Nazareth, who has been, the angel Gabriel has been sent by God to speak to her. And these are familiar words to many of us here today. These are the words concerning the conception of Christ within her womb. And he said unto her, fear not, it's on the screen in front of you and perhaps on the Bible page and your hand, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. How many of you believe he's great today? He shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. 33rd verse, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And now we're going to read quickly from when the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. For Joseph, upon hearing his betrothed wife, um, the announcement that she was pregnant, the scripture says he was being a just man, was mindful to put her away privately but while he thought on these things the scripture records that the angel of the lord appeared unto him in a dream saying joseph thou son of david fear not to take unto thee mary thy wife for that which is conceived in her is of the holy ghost 
Scripture, if we were to pause for a moment, back earlier in the Gospel of Luke, when Mary asked that infamous question, how shall this be, seeing I know not of man, the angel Gabriel said that the Holy Ghost would come upon thee, and the power of the highest would overshadow thee, and the holy thing that would be born of thee would be called the Son of God. It was a supernatural conception by the Spirit of God. And so let's go ahead and continue on reading there. And to, you shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 22nd verse. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth the son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And we're going to read here for this final text in Luke chapter 2. And this is the appearance of the angels to the shepherds which were keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, just for a side note very quickly, we have taught you in days gone by and some have argued that whether or not December 25th is at the actual date of celebration of our Lord's birth. And some have said that no, that's not the case because the shepherds did not keep watch over their flock during the winter months. However, others uh, disagree, and such as Alfred Edersheim, who gave us the revelation about the watchtower that I preached about a couple of years ago, said that these were, again, no ordinary shepherds, but these were Levitical shepherds who did keep watch over their flock during the winter months out in the field, and that it is highly possible that December 25th is the actual date of Christ's birth, just for knowledge's sake. So the angel says unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to just the Jewish people. That's a very powerful verse of Scripture right there, revealing to us the breath of the love of God, far beyond one exclusive people group that he had chosen previously as the natural descendants of Abraham. But this news that was being shared on that fateful night would bring great joy to all people. 11th verse. And unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And to conclude, the scripture text, and suddenly there was an angel, or the next verse 2, there was an angel and a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. You know, today, just for a few moments, as I have contemplated in my own personal meditations and knowing that as a pastor, I've oftentimes tried to search into the traditions of Christmas and try to bring out a particular uh, you know, side of it that maybe you haven't looked at previously and perhaps share something with you. But we're going to look at the very familiar aspect, not as much associated with Christmas, but if you don't associate it with Christmas, you're not understanding the real purpose of him being born. And so, therefore, that's what we're going to talk about today. And really, the text that I'm dealing with probably in more in it exclusively is actually the words of the angel 
to Joseph in his dream when he thought upon putting away Mary because he believed that she had been unfaithful to him. And when the angel had confirmed to him in the dream that the child that was conceived in her womb was conceived by the Holy Ghost, he said these words, he said, for he shall save his people from their sins. He shall save his people from their sins. And that corresponds to what we just read here to the words of the angel when he spoke there on that fateful night when he said, a savior has been born. Well, what did he come to save us from but to save us from our sins? Come on, somebody. That's what we're going to talk about today. Father, we love you, and we're so honored to be in this house. I humble myself before you today, God, and so deeply appreciative of the work of grace, asking for you to speak with great clarity to our hearts and minds, praying today, Father, that you can, Father, illuminate to us the text until our minds are so saturated and so filled. Father, and we will contemplate on the wonderful work of Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross it's in jesus name we pray and everybody said amen and amen thank you so much for your attention to the word of god now just want to remind you that this is the third part of a series of messages that i began here at the first of december concerning what is known as the cardinal truths of the assemblies of god the cardinal truths of the assemblies of god are four truths that are taken from scripture but are also shared in the context of our statement of fundamental truths that are in our constitution and bylaws and i've made statements to you like it's very important that you fellowship with a people group based upon more than just warm feelings more than just whether or not we have a a festive environment whether or not you enjoy our style of worship whether or not we have a program at christmas time but we it is my personal belief that you are woven together in your faith with men and women of like precious faith and that that you worship and you that you are in harmony and agreement with one another doctrinally that we have a communion that that is connected to each other a deeply woven held fellowship because we have similar beliefs And I just believe it is important that we truly know what we believe and why we believe it. I believe it's important that we study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen who need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I believe it is very important in the words of the apostle Peter when he said, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. It becomes, uh, you know, our responsibility to read and study and meditate upon the word so that we can understand more of the glorious truth that Christ came to reveal to us. Uh, Because as we grow in our knowledge and our understanding of his redemptive work, then it strengthens us in such a way that we do not fall prey to the seduction that's in the culture that we're seeing today. We do not, we're not moved with every wind of doctrine. We're not easily blown about. It doesn't matter what's coming on through the media. It doesn't matter what some of the perverted religious institutions are bringing forth. But we know what the scripture says. And we are firmly and rooted and grounded in the word. And there's nothing more 
uh, prolific to our faith and our subject matter today. It is the basis of why we believe. It is the, uh, the doorway and the entrance into this faith today. And I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture again that I'm going to try to connect to before we really expose to you very quickly those 16 fundamental truths. And this is found in John's Gospel. And oddly enough, even though I began what would be called a Christmas service and a Christmas sermon to you by reading the familiar passages of the conception of Jesus by the words of the angel and also the announcement that was made at his birth there in Bethlehem, I'm going to take you to the last day of his physical life when he stood before Pontius Pilate. At this particular time, he has already celebrated the Passover in the upper room with his disciples. He has also warned them that uh, the shepherd would be smitten and the sheep would be scattered. Judas has already slipped out of the room with the bag under tow to go and to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He's gone to Gethsemane. He has prayed fervently for God to strengthen him. There, the arresting officers have arrived and they have taken him in chains and shackles like a common criminal and he is bound and waiting on the dawn in which he would stand before first the chief priests for the accusations and from there they would bring him to the Roman procurator Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate would go about a series of investigations and examinations to find out whether or not the accusations of the chief priest were justified in the penalty that they were demanding. They were demanding that he be put to death. But Pontius Pilate, through a series of examinations, found him not worthy of death according to Roman law. But the Jews believed that he was worthy of death according to the biblical law of the law of Moses. But it is a dialogue, an exchange of words that takes place here with Pontius Pilate that I think bear witness to us here during our Christmas season. And it's in verses 33 through 37 of the 18th chapter of the Gospel of St. John that I would like to uh, just, kind of, just kind of relate to you for just a moment here if I can very, very quickly if I can for just a moment of time. Verses 33 through 37. Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Now, the reason that this information, or this, this title, which again Pontius Pilate would have placed above Jesus on the cross, has been circulating for the last 30 years is you could even hear it echoed in some of the words that were spoken to Mary at the time of the conception of Christ and also even by the angel and the words that was spoken to in the uh, announcement of his birth that this there was a perception that this was the king this was the long awaited promised messiah who would rule the nations with a rod of iron he would follow in the pattern of his spiritual forefather David he would be a warrior king and so there had been from that time till now the anticipation that the that Christ had the potential to be that type of king. And so Pilate is asking that question here. Art thou the king of the Jews? And so let's read it on down 
just a little bit further. Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Now Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered and said, My kingdom is not of this world. Now, in essence, he is referencing that he is a king, but my kingdom at this moment is not of this world. For if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. And to this end was I born. Right there, I want you to capture those words and somehow let's connect this very carefully if we can. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And so just for a moment of time, as we contemplate and try to weave this together for just a moment of time, when the angel had announced there to the shepherds that were biding in the field, they said, this night shall be born unto you a Savior in the city of David. A Savior. Now that word is soter in the Greek, and it can actually be also translated a deliverer or a preserver. And we have echoed many times from this pulpit that it was the belief of the Jews and that day that the Messiah Messiah would come in triumphal entry to, uh, to deliver the children of Israel from Roman occupation. You have to remember that Rome had occupied Israel for many years and the people were, were struggling under the heavy weight of their occupation and they longed for deliverance. And so when the angel announced that a deliverer had been born in their minds, they have the thought that their king would come in triumphal power. He would be like David and Samson all rode together. He would be a king like David, but he would have supernatural strength and power, and he could rid the nation, and he could drive all of the Roman uh, uh, empire out of the land, and there was this anticipation for this king, and ultimately when Jesus says that his kingdom was not of this earth, there was great disappointment even in his disciples upon those words, but here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus shared that as a king, he came to do something that no other king could do, and that was not rid the nation of Roman occupation, not drive the, the, the Roman soldiers out off of their post and to free the nation of that type of oppression, but he came to do something that no other person could do, and that was he came to deliver them from their, from their sins. Deliver them from their transgressions. And on that day, he said, to this very end, I was born. And perhaps in his mind, he's thinking back of that fateful night when the, the angels made that announcement and said, a Savior has been born. And from that day until this, Israel is expecting their Savior to be this militant deliverer. But Jesus had his mind on a different target. And that target was not the Roman emperor who was there in Rome, but it was actually upon Satan and his, king, his kingdom and his destruction and the nature of sin and the Adamic nature of man that had hindered and did not allow man to have fellowship with God. Jesus had set his target on something far greater and he said, I came into this world for that very purpose that I would bear witness unto the truth. For this very purpose, I was born to die. I was born to die. 
Now, church family, let me take a moment with that context and see if I can somehow connect that to you for just a moment to a fundamental belief that is held within the assemblies of God. Let's see if we can before we shift this for just a second of time. I'm going to put on the screen here the fourth of our fundamental truths. It's the third of our cardinal truths. And this is, if you can bring that up for me, Phil, very quickly. And the fundamental truths, number four, it's on there somewhere. And then it says the fall of man. And it's the belief that man has fallen by willful transgression. Roll to the very next screen, if you would, and we're going to read this. Man was created good and upright. In the garden, God had said, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. However, man by voluntary transgression fell and thereby incurred not only physical death, but also spiritual death, which is separation from God. And this doctrine is a belief that no man is actually born morally upright from that day till this day. Man was originally created, but by voluntary transgression, when he breached the command of God to take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there was a spiritual death that took place. Physical death would come 900 and some odd years later when Adam was driven eastward out of that garden that was called Eden. But the day that he took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there was a separation in his heart from God. We call it spiritual death. And so, therefore, he can only worship God in the soulless realm. It is our belief that man was made in the likeness and the image of God. God is triune in nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Man is triune in nature. He is spirit, soul, and body. And though his body would not taste of death for 908 years, but at the moment that he took of that forbidden fruit, there was a spiritual death that took place. The illumination of his spirit was, was what extinguished. It's hard to describe. I don't know. Perhaps separation. Perhaps the Holy Spirit simply withdrew, but it was what we define as a separation from God. And so man can only know God from the outside in. He can look from afar. He can know God in the soulless realm. He can attempt to worship him. That's how idolatry became commonplace because man is now carnal and his appetites uh, dictate, you know, the direction of his choices. And so man would have a desire to worship but would not know how to worship. And he would just form a God based upon the imagination of his own heart or something that he saw in nature. In essence, what this is revealing to us is that because of the transgression, the transgression of Adam and because we all descended from Adam, that we were born sinners. Before we ever actually even committed an action of sin, we were already in the eyes of God sinners. We had already, even though we, before we had even had the knowledge of transgression, we were already born in the context of being a sinner. And what it says is we needed somebody that could save us because we could not save ourselves. We could, not, we could not close the gap that had been created between God and man. And this is where fundamental truth number five comes up. And we're going to bring this up very quickly. It says the salvation of man. You say, well, pastor, what is the salvation of man? Let's put this man's only hope of redemption. Man's only hope of redemption is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The only hope that we have is that Christ would give his atoning blood on the cross of Calvary to satisfy the just demands of a holy God. 
in order for the Holy Spirit to be able to go into the heart and mind and bring us into regeneration and renewing, there would have to be a sacrifice that would be so sufficient that it would take away the sin of Adam, the first man born, and it would also then take us or the first man created all the way to the last man ever born and take away their sin debt. And what type of payment could provide that before God? Only the atoning blood of Jesus Christ spilled on the cross of Calvary. The doctrine held so dear by the evangelical church that man's only hope of redemption is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. You say, Pastor Brown, what does that have to do today here at the Christmas season? It's because Jesus said this, to this end I was born and for this very purpose I was sent into the earth. I came to this moment in my life when the angel announced that a Savior had been born. What it was saying is God had provided the one true atoning sacrifice that would satisfy his just demand. It would take 30 years before him to be revealed for all to see and then his ministry would exist for three and a half years but it would culminate on that cross called Calvary when Jesus Christ would be lifted between two thieves and it was there that his life's blood would flow out of his body to satisfy the just demands of God so that you and I alienated from the goodness of God walking through life in our sin without hope and without God having no hope of eternal life but when Jesus Christ gave his blood on the cross he would say it is finished and when he said it is finished then that atoning blood would wash away all of our sin debt and allow us to have access to the holiness of God. Isn't that exciting today? And Jesus said, to this end I was born for this very purpose. Now, today, to be honest with you, this, in order for us to understand it with any clarity at all, we have to understand some measure of the knowledge of the law in order for us to put our heart and our mind. God was so gracious to choose out for himself a people that he could reveal himself to, and you and I know that to be the Hebrew people. He loved them so much that he gave them precepts and principles by, which by they could guide and they could, uh, they could guard their steps and they could walk holy before God but he also gave them the law for the singular purpose of being a schoolmaster the apostle Paul said to bring us unto Christ inside of that law was an atoning sacrificial system whereby men and women could come before God and confess their sins to God by the aid of a priest who would hear their confession and take those sins and place them on a sacrifice and that sacrifice would be slain his blood the blood of the animal but would be taken as redemption for the sins of the one that had transgressed. And the reason why blood is so necessary is in this life, God revealed to us in Leviticus 17 that in this life, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Amen. The life of the flesh. None of us can exist without blood. That's why we call it the life's blood. And God revealed even through that, that Old Testament system that there would be a transfer of the transgressions of the person that had sinned upon the innocent animal. And when his blood was spilt, God would appease that moment. It would not fully and adequately atone for that transgression, but it would, uh, it would cover that transgression, awaiting the one day when the actual sacrifice would be given that would uh, actually satisfy God's just demand but it is a revelation to us that we needed something to provide redemption for us 
Now, we live in a culture today when the church doesn't even like to talk about this subject. We live in a culture today when there are churches that don't want to sing about the blood of Jesus. There are churches today that would say, well, don't mention it because it's too brutal. We don't need to talk about it. These are the practices of barbaric people, and we should not bring them up in our uh, sanctified and harmonious churches. But I tell you today, there is no life apart from the blood. There is no relationship apart from the blood. There is no hope. There is no joy. There is no peace. There is no goodwill toward men apart from the blood of Jesus. If we don't have faith in the blood, we are lost and undone. If we don't have faith in the blood of Jesus, we are still destined to a devil's hell. But when we put our faith in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, then we are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Joy unspeakable and full of glory because of the blood of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I get excited when I start talking about the blood. When I I think about his atoning work when I think about that he bowed his head on the cross when I think about seven fountains spilled on that fateful day and blood flowing down from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet and on that fateful cross he prayed a prayer and said father because of this blood shed forgive them for they know not what they do and God took away all my transgression all of my sin all of my iniquity and he made me whole and he made me new when I think about the blood Blood. I get happy in the house of God. I'm so grateful today to think about the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. The blood. I think about the blood today. There are thoughts that run to my mind about the blood. The writer of the book of Romans said this, I've been justified by the blood. That means I was unjust before God, condemned towards God's eternal penalty. But when the blood was applied, I'm now justified in his sight. That means it's just as if I have never sinned. The writer of the book of Ephesians says, I've been redeemed through his blood, even granted the forgiveness of sin. Redemption is a monetary transaction that took place. That's why the apostle Peter said his blood was precious. He said, you were not redeemed by gold or silver or any such thing. God could look in the earth with all of the gold and the silver hidden in the crust of the earth and platinum and titanium and all of our precious metals. And God said, you can't extract any of it out, print it into a coin and come into my presence and exchange it as a means of redemption. But that day that they pierced his hand and they pierced his feet and for the very first time, precious blood flowed out of his veins. It was at that moment that God said, now something of enough value to release men of the of the sin debt that they owe me has now been provided we've been redeemed by his blood and granted the i feel like preaching in here today even the forgiveness of sin and i love what paul said to the gentiles in ephesians the second chapter he said you were afar off the Jews at least had the, the, the sacrificial system of the lambs and of the he goat and all of that. They could come near, but we were afar off. But now, he said, by the blood, we're made nigh and we have access to God. He made peace by the blood of his cross and he reconciled all things unto himself. Scripture says the blood of Christ purges our conscience from dead works and now we can serve the living God. Did you know now you can serve the living God? 
His blood purges our conscience from dead works. There comes a moment in our life when we focus our affection and our attention upon the blood of Jesus to the degree that who we used to be is to a degree forgotten and we are reminded of who we are now because of Jesus' blood and that old guilty, sin-laden consciousness that we once possessed is now released and we have a guilt-free consciousness before God. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And we're able to worship God without condemnation. We're able to serve God because we know we've been accepted because of the blood. He said, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, referring to the holy place in the temple where only the priest would be allowed to go and not without the blood of a bullock or a goat could he even enter in. But now you and I have access to the eternal presence of God and we can come boldly into the throne room of grace and we can obtain grace and receive mercy during our time of need. And how do we stand before God? We stand before him by virtue of the blood. Scripture says the blood speaks better things than that of Abel's. That context is the blood of Abel, the brother of Cain, the sons of Adam, that when they fought in the field that day and when Cain slew his brother, the scripture says that when God came down to commune with him, he said, Cain, where is your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? God said, the voice of the blood of your brother cries out from the ground. What he was saying is, I can hear the innocent blood crying out to condemn you because you are a murderer. But the writer of Hebrews, recognizing that blood has a voice, it said the blood of Jesus cries out with greater things than that of Abel's. Abel's blood was crying out demanding justice but now Jesus's blood cries out demanding forgiveness and release of our transgression it speaks better things than that of Abel's he has sanctified the people with his own blood it is called the blood of the everlasting covenant Peter said his blood is precious John said his blood will cleanse you from all sin Come on, somebody. His blood will cleanse you from all sin. There is no sin so great that it can defy the ability of the blood to take away your sin debt before God. His blood will cleanse you from all sin. There are three that bear witness in heaven, John said. It is the Father, it is the Word, and it is the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. But he said there are three that bear witness in the earth. It is the Spirit, it is the water, and it is the blood. And these three are agree in one and I remember the writer of Revelation said and they sung a new song saying thou art worthy for thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood I don't know about you I know it's Christmas time and a lot of people are thinking about Santa Claus and mistletoe and holly branches and they're thinking about Christmas trees and Christmas lights and that's all good and I'm not against any of those things but I came to church today to celebrate not tinsel come on somebody not candies and sweets but I came to celebrate the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross because that's what gives me joy unspeakable and full of glory that's what gives me access to God that's the reason I can shout and sing and have hope because of the power of Jesus' blood hallelujah I wrote it this way Jesus would not deliver his people by raising an army like David 
He would not deliver his people. You remember in that context, you remember when David was not yet appointed the king, but people started coming to him and it became a great army. The Bible says it was like the army of God. Jesus would not deliver his people by raising an army and then shedding the blood of the Romans and the pagans, but rather he would deliver his people by giving his own blood in ransom for their sins. Jesus would spill his blood on the cross so that you and I could have access to the goodness of God. Today, in closing, we're going to briefly read over a passage of Scripture out of the book of Hebrews. It's going to summarize some of the things that I've said, and then we're going to come and we're going to share communion. It's not that today I have a message that was so uniquely designed that it might be something that you don't already know about, but it was simply in the context that I wanted you to be aware, be reminded that Jesus Christ was born to die. That as the angel said, he is the Savior. He's come to save us from our sin. We're going to read kind of quickly as we just simply follow in the book of Hebrews and without much dialogue or instruction, but just kind of let these words echo in our mind. As the writer of Hebrews is summarizing the insufficiencies of the Mosaic law to actually take away sin, but you and I now have access to God by virtue of the blood of Jesus. For here the writer says, for the law, first verse, 10th chapter, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of those things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers once purged would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, he says, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Every year on the day of atonement, the high priest would go into the most holy place with the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat. He would sprinkle it seven times before the Ark of the Covenant, and he would confess the sins, his own sins, and the sins of the people. But the writer of Hebrews summarizes this as he's looked back to around 2,000 years of historical tradition of bringing the blood into the holy place but the writer summarizes and says it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin wherefore when he cometh into the world he said sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not but a body hast thou prepared me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure but then he said I lo I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will O God above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law but he said I come being Jesus to do thy will O God he said he's taking away the first the first sacrificial system that he may establish the second by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all glory to God once and for all we are sanctified before God so every priest standeth daily he said ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices over and over again which can never take away sin but this man 
the one that stood before Pontius Pilate and said, to this end I was born, and for this purpose I came to bear witness of the truth. This man to whom the angels announced over the shepherds in the shepherd's field those years earlier, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God completing God's redemptive requirement from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is witness to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and I will put my laws into their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Hallelujah. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Brother Ed, I'm going to ask the ushers y'all come and begin to receive the, the communion emblems if you can. Let's read this here together today. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Today, I'm going to ask the guys to go ahead and begin to slip through. And Shane, I'm going to ask you all to come back, whoever's coming with you, and I appreciate so much. As I can be honest with you. Christmas is a busy time. It can be a very distracting time. And it can be a painful time. Some of you will enjoy fellowship with families. There'll be smiles and laughters. And some will be isolated as Joe mentioned earlier, and you'll feel all alone during that time. And even as a pastor, all that we do in the course of the week can somehow shift our attention away from the really critical issues. And today... As I was contemplating in my personal prayer time, I just didn't have it in me to bring you a message about a Christmas tree, about eggnog, or yuletide, because my affection has been on the blood. Because he came to save us from our sins. And so therefore, all of God's eternal heaven brings glory to him for that faithful sacrifice that he made. And I just think that it is critical that we understand its effect in our lives, what it means. 
You know, as, I, as your pastor, I challenge you often to just study the scriptures and to know, to know what it means when he said, you who were afar off are now brought nigh. To understand what it means when it speaks of that we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints. And we are a part of the household of God. Why? Because of the blood. Because of Jesus' blood on the cross. Our sins are forgiven. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away. All things have been made new. We're waiting a day of when God is going to reconcile all things in Christ, things that are above the earth, things that are on the earth, and things that are in the earth, all because of the blood, all because of the blood of Jesus. And the assemblies of God in our statement of fundamental truths said that man is fallen by nature, willful transgression in the garden called Eden, and therefore all of man's descendants would have a sin nature. And we have summarized and arrived at the conclusion that the only hope for mankind is to put his faith in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And those are, that would take a thousand volumes of commentaries to expound to you deeper the meaning behind that just little statement. And I just want you to see for just a few short minutes today the life of the flesh was in the blood. Jesus gave his blood. His blood was precious blood. It was accepted in God's eternal kingdom as the propitiation for our sins. It was the atoning sacrifice that would actually take away sin and allow God to breathe into us his Holy Spirit, giving us new life. And it is the reason we celebrate. That's the good news of the gospel. He's the Savior of the world. Come on, somebody. Amen. The Savior. What did he come to save us from? But to save us from our sins, our transgressions, our sins of commission and omission, our failures, our breaches. God is so good to us to give us access by the blood. Now, if you've received communion emblems, I'm going to ask you to just hold them for just a moment. We're almost through passing them out today. And they're going to serve each other, and they'll serve the platform as well. And we're going to share them, and then we're going to sing a song again about the blood, because that's the right thing to do. But as I, as they're wrapping up and culminating real quickly, the, the passing out the emblems let me take a moment to ask you just real quickly you may have received the emblems but receiving the emblems and receiving Christ are two different things I want to encourage you today to receive Christ you may be here as a visitor you may not understand everything that I even preached about today but you understand that you've sinned and you understand that you feel guilty before God and you need something to release you of that sin indebtedness and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. So our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm gonna give you an opportunity.